Put in your earbuds, pour a cup of tea, or put on your work gloves. It's time for another episode of the No-Till Flowers podcast. As always, I'm your ever-curious host, Jenny Love. I'm going to try a new format for the show. It's a test run and we'll see how it goes. Rather than having a guest on to interview, I decided to try the old monologue route. Frankly, I'm a little terrified, <laughs> but I think if I can get past the anxiety of hearing my own voice nonstop, I can get you all some quick tutorials on the basics of no-till farming on a small diversified farm that doesn't use big equipment. It was pointed out to me recently that it's a bit ironic that a podcast called No-Till Flowers doesn't really contain much info to date about how to actually go no-till. So here you have it, an episode dedicated to the step-by-step process I have used at my farm to unhitch my tiller from the tractor and never look back. I will preface this by saying what I'll be laying out in this episode has been my journey. Your journey will likely be different because everyone's context is unique. The key is to listen to lots of other people's experiences and take bits and pieces of all that you hear and craft the best approach for yourself and your own context. So a bit about my context here. I farm in an area that typically gets 34 to 45 inches of rain annually. We have roughly 180 frost-free growing days a season, though that's been a bit of a toss-up in the past few years with climate change bringing wild swings in weather. My farm is considered USDA hardiness zone 7, but again, we get some pretty wild swings and temperatures, so it's hard to trust that designation anymore. My soil is a silt loam, heavy on the silt. When I was tilling, I was pulling up big rocks all the time, rocks the size of footballs or bigger. These rocks are a schist, which makes my soil heavily mineral in nature. It also makes it tend towards the acidic pH. Untouched ground at my farm has a pH of about 5.9. I did till for nearly a decade before I went cold turkey in 2018, aka the year it never stopped raining. It was that record-setting year of back-to-back downpours that forced me to try a new approach. What seemed like bad luck with the weather at the time turned out to be very good luck indeed for myself and my farm, since it is the catalyst that made me go no-till. All right, a bit more about my context. I farm in the heart of a big city. I have a little over five acres that I'm caring for at my farm, which is an amazing amount of space to have in a city. But it's not actually that much land, so all the spacing at my farm is tight. Aisles between beds are just 21 inches wide. There are just a few laneways around the farm, which are all very narrow and very little space to turn around any big equipment. This coupled with the fact that it's hard to get a tractor serviced when the nearest dealership and mechanic is three hours away means that tractors aren't my jam. I have one to use, but it's not easy, and I generally avoid it except for some very specific heavy lifting projects. 
Instead, my farm relies on more specialized, smaller equipment and tools. If you haven't already followed No-Till Flowers on Instagram, you should do that so you can take a look at a lot of my favorite tools over there. So, main takeaways about my farm context as it relates to tillage decisions are, one, I had tilled a lot in the past so my soil structure was pretty shot. Two, I generally prefer to not use the tractor. Three, we get a lot of rainfall. Four, my soil is extremely well draining to the point that it can be a detriment. Five, my soil leaches nutrients easily while also being overly rich in minerals. Kind of weird. Six, getting and making good compost can be a challenge for my urban farm because space is tight, everything is more expensive in the city, and there aren't many suppliers willing to haul it in. All right, let's dive into the nitty gritty of how I've gone no-till. For the record, any disturbance to the soil is considered, by definition, to be tillage. If you dig a hole to put a transplant into a bed, you've technically tilled. So the phrase, quote unquote, no-till, is a bit misleading then for any farmer or gardener to use. But it's a catchphrase that helps us all huddle around a general concept and learn more about it. Here on this podcast, you'll never hear me be dogmatic about being quote-unquote no-till. All I ever ask is for listeners to keep their ears and minds open and see what might work for them wherever they're at in their journey. When I first went no-till, I was dealing with a really wet year. I had beds that had been tilled in the past, and I just wanted to get them planted. It was late April and I had a propagation house full of root-bound seedlings dying to bust out of their cells. I gave zero thought at that time to soil health or any long-term strategy. I just needed a quick fix. So I used what's called the quote-unquote deep mulch system of no-till, which I had read about in Andrew Medford's book, The Organic No-Till Farming Revolution. I'll include a link to that book in the show notes, by the way. The method is easy and a good one to get started. But spoiler alert, I don't use this method anymore. But we'll get back to that in a few minutes. All right, so the deep mulch system entails basically building up instead of digging down. You use a combination of cardboard or newspaper and aged compost to create planting beds. Step one usually involves some well-timed tarping to kill off whatever vegetation was in the space you plan to use for your no-till beds. If you're starting from lawn, you can pin down strips of black woven landscape fabric where you want your beds to be and let that fabric in place for four to six weeks to kill the grass and weeds. If you're starting from an old pasture or an overgrown field, you can employ big tarps to cover large spaces such as 100 by 100 feet. You can purchase what are called silage tarps from farm suppliers or you can seek out recycled billboards. I personally prefer billboards to silage tarps. Silage tarps, in my experience, get punctured and ripped fairly easily. Billboards hold up better for longer. Using billboards also keeps a big old sheet of plastic out of the landfills for a little while longer. If you can find a billboard installation company near you, you may very well be able to get billboards for free. If you're trying to convert a space that has a bunch of tall weeds and brambles growing, you'll need to mow that down first before tarping. Now, I'm going to say something that will make some of you gasp, but hear me out. Sometimes, if you're working with space that's been fallow or abandoned for a long time, 
you may need to till one time before establishing your no-till beds. Yep, I said it, you might need to till and that's okay. The reason for this is that you'll likely need to add some amendments to bring the soil into balance so soil life and your crops can get humming along more quickly once you put it into production. Usually the pH of fallow ground will need to be adjusted at the outset. Lime increases pH and sulfur decreases pH. You'll need to get a soil test done in order to know what you should be adding. If you need to make a big adjustment in pH, you'll be best off tilling in the amendment rather than just top dressing. The initial pass with the tiller can also help with working in a large amount of compost if you need to increase organic matter, which is often the case with fallow ground or lawns. That being said, I've brought an entire acre of fallow ground, what used to be old cow pasture years ago, into production without tilling even once. But it took a lot longer for the soil to come into better balance than it would have if I had tilled. I chose not to till because there's a population of threatened native terrestrial turtles on this land that I did not want to risk injuring with the tiller and heavy equipment. Fittingly, we've gone the slow and steady route <laughs> instead with that space. Right, so the next step of the deep mulch system. After using a tarp or landscape fabric to kill off the vegetation, lay down cardboard where you want your planting beds to be. Just where you want your planting beds to be, not like all over the place. You have a couple options with the cardboard. You can get large recycled cardboard boxes for free from appliance stores or bike shops, or you can choose to purchase cardboard by the roll. The first is great for those on a budget or growing in smaller spaces. The second is much faster and better for larger production spaces. I used recycled boxes for two seasons for an acre of no-till beds, and it got to be very time-consuming to travel around and find all that cardboard, <laughs> and then to break it apart, all those boxes had to be broken apart into the right size for the beds, and then I had to take off all the staples and remove all the tape from those boxes. So that was a lot of work. I transitioned to purchasing 300-foot rolls of corrugated cardboard from PackagingPrice.com for two seasons after that. I have to say, while more expensive, the rolls were very convenient and we could make beds for those in a fraction of the time that it had taken us with recycled boxes. The number one thing about the cardboard is that it has to be untreated, plain brown cardboard. No color or coatings. Plain brown cardboard is made with just paper and a starch-based glue, so it is completely natural and will break back down into elements your soil would typically encounter anyway. But if you use cardboard that has like a wax coating or colored ink or, you know, anything glitzy and flashy, that stuff contains chemicals you do not want in your soil. Pro tip, don't lay out all your cardboard on the bed at once without thinking of a good way to weigh it down. Inevitably, a gust of wind will come the moment you've got it all laid out nice and neat. I know, trust me. <laughs> you can use some soil bags or rocks to temporarily hold it down, or you can soak the cardboard with a hose prior to laying it out so it's soggy. I know one farm that intentionally lets a stack of ready-to-go cardboard get rained on at least once, maybe multiple times, before laying it out. Wet cardboard is heavy and molds well to the so soil surface, so it's less likely to get picked up by the wind. After you've got the cardboard securely laid out on the bed, 
Now you'll want to add a nice layer of aged compost. Key here is to use aged compost. <laughs> the kind that is really nicely broken down so you can't really distinguish what any one bit of it was in its previous life. If you can tell that there's wood chips in it, that is not aged. If you can see a banana peel, that is not aged. So make sure you can't really distinguish any of the bits from each other. We do need to hold up here a moment and have a quick chat about compost and its role in growing crops. Compost is not a nutrient source for your crops. Putting that another way, compost is not a fertilizer. Compost is food for microbes, not plants. It is not until the microbes have eaten the compost that the nutrients are available to your plants. That takes a lot of time, so compost you put down today won't truly contribute to the nutrients your plants uptake until several weeks or months or maybe even years later. So don't mistake compost for fertilizer. Compost also is not a balanced growing medium, meaning you should not be planting straight into compost. It does not generally have the proper structure, chemical balance, or water cycling capabilities needed to support healthy plant roots all by itself. I mention these finer nuances of compost because newer growers may mistakenly assume they want a really thick layer of compost over the cardboard in their no-till beds, so they'll just plant into the compost instead of the soil. Nope. That's not the goal of the deep mulch system. The compost in this system is a mulch, thus the deep mulch system. <laughs> its function is to hold down the cardboard and smother weeds and grass so your young plants have the upper hand. The compost is not, I repeat, it is not a substitute for soil. The roots of your young, young plants still need to touch the native soil underneath the cardboard so they can network with soil life and access nutrients and water down there. So the compost should be spread evenly on top of the cardboard to about a two inch or six centimeter thickness. Any less, and it won't weigh down the cardboard enough to keep it from blowing away in the wind. Any more, and the root balls of your transplants will be engulfed by compost only and will not be able to reach the soil underneath. So just to repeat that, the compost in the deep mulch system should only be about two inches or six centimeters thick. It should not be piled on there six inches deep. That is way too deep. All right, so once your bed has the cardboard and compost on top of it, you can lay drip tape on top of that if you're gonna be using that for irrigation. So the drip tape goes on top of the compost. On our 36 inch wide rows here at my farm, we run five lines of drip tape. If you haven't already listened to my chat with Emma Horswell from Earth and Reef Farm about pulse watering, go check that out for a much more in-depth chat about irrigation setups and procedures. One more note about compost and irrigation. Compost has a bad habit of going hydrophobic Hydrophobic means that it will resist water infiltration rather than absorb it. Compost that's left to dry out completely in the hot sun will form a crust that takes water a while to break through again. It is important to keep these deep mulch, no-till beds we're talking about here evenly moist. Don't let them become bone dry. Alrighty, so now it is time to plant. 
I recommend not waiting to plant. Prepared beds left unplanted will be more likely to wash out in heavy rains or weeds will move into the bed and defeat the purpose of the deep mulch system to begin with. Plus, you want living roots in the soil at all times. The soil life under the cardboard is going to be starving until you put plants in that bed. To plant, we use long screwdrivers at my farm. The screwdrivers are long enough to go down through the compost and punch through the cardboard where we wiggle the screwdriver around to make a hole just the right size for the transplant's roots to pop through to touch the native soil. By the way, we're typically planting out from a 128 tray. If we were using a larger tray size, then we might use a soil knife instead of a screwdriver. After just one crop cycle, the soil in these no-till beds will be like butter. For those of you who are hanging on to tillage because you think it softens up the ground to make planting easier, I'm here to tell you the soil life, particularly earthworms, will do that work for you in this deep mulch system. Of note here, we only do this cardboard and compost application once a season in the spring. Our annual beds typically get two to three crop rotations in a season, but we only do this process one time at the beginning of the season. When we are rotating crops during the season, we do not remake the bed. Rather, we simply cut down the old crop at the base of its stem right at soil level. We remove the crop debris to be composted and give the bed a quick weeding. Then we dust it with a little feather meal or cottonseed meal for a nitrogen bump before broad forking it, and then we immediately replant the bed with new transplants. As you probably noted, we do not yank out the old crop roots. Those stay in the ground to act as nursemaids for the new baby plants. The old roots are full of healthy soil life, robust, healthy soil life that is eager to transition to the new crop's roots. By not removing the old crop roots, you disturb the soil less, you leave valuable organic matter in the ground to decompose, and you help reduce transplant shock in the new crop. If this episode feels spot on for what you need, and you crave more step-by-step help with regenerative growing practices and your farm's overall success, you should join the 2023 No-Till Flowers Farming Cohort. The cohort is a small group mentoring experience. I coach 20 growers over three months with live presentations and Q&As on a private virtual forum where cohort members have access to additional resources and a space to chat and share amongst themselves between meetings. If you've ever wished you could pick my brain directly, this is the best way to do that. My favorite part about the cohort is the village of support that develops among the members. I grew up in a small farming village where everyone helped each other out. The Snow-Till Flowers Farming Cohort is the closest thing I've seen to that in our bustling flower industry. Registration is open now, and there's a direct link in the show notes. I'd love to help you on your journey, and I hope to see you there. So, I hinted at this earlier, and now I'm going to come out with it. I no longer use the deep mulch no-till system at my farm. For After four seasons of using it, I found it to have diminishing returns. At first, it was great for us to get in the groove of no-till. For starters, it helped tremendously with weed pressure. I'm here to bust the myth that no-till means no weeds. That is total BS. <laughs> I had rampant crabgrass and other nasties at my farm, 
No-till did not defeat them in a day or even a couple of seasons. It wasn't until season four of no-till production that I noticed a drastic drop in weed pressure. So it takes time, and the deep mulch system is a great way to manage that what I call ugly duckling phase of no-till, which is the first seasons one to three of being no-till is going to feel like an ugly duckling phase to you. Secondly, I needed to build up soil structure and organic matter in my beds after pulverizing them for nearly a decade with a tiller. Had to pay for my sins there. The deep mulch system was a quick band-aid, and it was easy to implement while I wrapped my head around more complex strategies like cover cropping and jadam inputs. There are a few downsides to the deep mulch system. For starters, it requires a good and plentiful source of cardboard and compost. These can be expensive inputs, and in my case, challenging to find conveniently in large volumes. Secondly, the heavy and repeated application of compost to just the surface of the beds, along with the cardboard, began to tie up nitrogen in a big way. Both aged compost and cardboard are a lot of carbon to dump into a system, especially when you're not actually working it into the soil and you're just kind of leaving it there to hang out on the surface. I started to notice yellowing and stunted crops by the third season of using the the deep mulch no-till system. I began heavily amending beds with nitrogen inputs like feather meal and blood meal just to get those plants to stop struggling so much. These additional inputs were an added expense. Thirdly, the hydrophobic nature of compost I mentioned earlier meant that I was struggling to keep my crops properly irrigated in stretches of hot, dry weather. Part of my farm's context is that it has a very weak well. Every drop of irrigation water has to count, and I couldn't seem to get enough water on the beds to actually reach the plant roots. It just seemed to shed right off the top of the bed, and it never actually infiltrated and went down to the plants. You may say, well, Jenny, why didn't you just put irrigation lines under the compost? Hey, smarty pants. I did that <laughs> at first, but we ended up constantly puncturing the drip tape when we were planting with the screwdrivers, so that didn't work. The irrigation lines really do need to be on the surface of the bed where you can see them if you're going to try to um, punch down through the cardboard to get the plant roots into the soil. So, unfortunately, putting drip tape under did not work. Lastly, and perhaps most importantly, over those four years of using the deep mulch no-till system, I was learning a lot about regenerative farming methods, in large part by hosting this podcast and talking to some fantastic experts that expanded my understanding of soil and my confidence to try new methodologies. My farm is still entirely no-till. But rather than rely on the deep mulch system to fight weeds and build organic matter and soil structure, I now use cover cropping. It takes a lot of trial and error to to begin to master cover crop timings in a no-till system. You must timely terminate a cover crop effectively to be able to plant into that bed without additional steps like laying cardboard and compost. In 2022, I started to really dial it in and was able to leave the deep mulch system behind. I'm still learning a lot, but I felt like I was ready for that step. Having said that, I wouldn't change my approach at all over these years. The deep mulch system is a fantastic starting point. 
and it may be the system that works in your context for a lifetime of growing. If you would like to see photos of the deep mulch no-till system in action at my farm, make sure to follow No-Till Flowers on Instagram. You can also check out several articles I wrote, along with lots of photos, on the Regenerative Flower Farmers Network. I've put a link to that in the show notes. All right, so thanks for listening to my first ever monologue. I hope it wasn't too terribly awkward. More guest interviews are forthcoming, I promise. All right, cheers, everyone. Well, that wraps up another energetic episode of No-Till Flowers. I'm so grateful you tuned in and hope you got several new ideas that can help you farm more in step with nature. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss the next one. Also, please take a second to rate and review the podcast wherever you're getting it. Reviews help grow this show and let others know that it's worth a listen. Many thanks to Matt Moran, the post-production manager of No-Till Flowers, for his meticulous editing so you don't have to listen to too many of my outbursts of excitement and laughter. Also, gratitude goes to Nikolai Fox for the original music used here on the show. Until next time, remember, it all stems from the soil. Mm-hmm.